Looking for new threads? Well, we've got you covered at the Music Is Live podcast official merch store over at tpublic.com. Whether it's t-shirts, baseball tees, hoodies, coffee mugs, travel mugs, phone cases, or onesies for your infant rockers and metalheads, you can find everything you're looking for over at the Music Is Live podcast merch store at tpublic. Go to my link tree at l-i-n-k-a-t-r dot e-e forward slash Music Is Live podcast and get your merch today. Buy my stuff and thanks for your support. TerraNut is proud to offer you a natural nut bar chock full of healthy fats, minerals, and protein that meet your demands. Go to their website, www.terranut.com. You can order from them directly, and they will ship it to you. Use my coupon code, LUMAVS, and you will get a 25% discount on your first order. TerraNut Superfood Snacks, www.terranut.com. Don't forget to use coupon code, LUMAVS, at checkout. Fuel your life. You're listening to the Music Is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. Music Is Life podcast this is your host, Lou Mabs. Check out everything you need to know about the show over at musiclifepodcast.com. I'm happy to say I finally finished the second part of my two-part interview with Damiano Christian of Sacred Oath, also of Ozzy America and Rock of Ages. This project was a huge labor of love because of my respect for Damiano as a musician, as a teacher, and as a friend. In this episode, we go into different realms than we did in the first part. For example, we talk about the experience of playing with Rudy Sarzo, who is the former bassist for Quiet Riot, Ozzy Osbourne, and Whitesnake, amongst countless others. And, you know, he really doesn't need an introduction, but I respect him enough to just remind people of his greatness. So we talk about that. We talk about the very strange choice. I don't even want to call it strange. Um, It's definitely, for Damiano, it will be an iconic look for him his jerk-in-the-box bolt guitar. I'd never heard of bolt guitars before Damiano started using them. And I think it's definitely a great addition to his arsenal, definitely an extension of his personality. I mean, it looks great with it. And we get into more about his teaching experience and about the bands that he plays with. We also talk about the loss of Eddie Van Halen and what he meant to both of us as guitar players. And for the audio portion of the podcast, I have something special at the end of the episode prior to the outro that I normally do, which is me talking over the song that I do with the Rebel Medium. But I wanted to make the audio portion a little special. Plus, I could get away with it a lot more than I can't Uh, get away with on YouTube. I don't want any more copyright strikes. But anyways, check out the video version of the episode as well. Thank you for listening to the audio portion. Thank you, Damiano Christian, for being a guest on the show. And I hope you enjoy it. Take care. Thanks. I think it's safe to say that the comparisons, if one knew about the history of Randy, because he's a guitar teacher, well, you are as well. 
Yes. So how did you get into that gig? I got into the teaching gig playing in the Ozzy tribute <laughs> of all things. So the singer. How is this all related? Apparently yeah, it makes yeah. sense now. So the, the singer in my Ozzy tribute, he works at the school I teach guitar and piano lessons at called the Rock House School of Music. I had just left my first job I picked up when I, you know, every 18 year old gets their first job. And uh, I had left mine after almost a year of doing it. I was mine was Baskin Robbins. <laughs> mine was you. You probably won't believe mine. Mine was teaching ballroom dancing lessons at a Fred Astaire franchise dance studio. <laughs> you know, I'm once this pandemic is over, I'd love to take my wife out for a night of ballroom dancing. Uh, Can you Skype me dance lessons, please? Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. Nice. I mean, it's my- nothing to laugh at. No, Shit. no. I, I could, uh, so I was doing that for almost a year. And then I left that job because I got called to go do the first tour with Sacred Oath for the 12 Bells record. And I was like, I don't need to put up with this bullshit at work anymore. I want to go out and play. I left that job, did the whole tour thing. And then uh, somehow American Idol creep its way in there in the timeline. But around that timeline, I get a call from the singer from my Aussie tribute. And he says to me, would you ever, I know, he's like, I know you left your job. You did American Idol. It didn't work out. Wait, 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 wait. You auditioned for American Idol as a singer? Yes. yes. How come I don't remember this? <laughs> this was before you ever met me. This was about uh, probably two years prior to pandemic, I want to say. So, so when it returned, I guess. Yes, when it returned on ABC, the very first season. All right, very cool. So I was on there, and uh, my hair was a little bit shorter, and uh, I was wearing the jacket with all my flags on it. That's in some of my photos from the mm-hmm. Moscow Peace Festival. Oh, nice. So I was wearing that. All I remember is it didn't work out. I didn't get through on the televised audition. I'm on the train home and he calls me. He's like, would you be interested in a job teaching guitar and piano at a music school? And I said, sure, where? And he told me about Rock House School of Music. My boss, John McCarthy, who little did I know has this long lineage of instructional videos under the Rock House method, which I had no clue was as big as it as it is with the worldwide release of all of the instructional dvds he's done with like gus g kiko Liriero, Doug i thought Whippet. the name sounded familiar yeah and uh we've done he's done videos with jeff loomis from arch enemy i remember when he was from nevermore i loved yeah. it i love his playing <laughs> on the enemies of reality album but if you look up Rock House Method and John McCarthy, you'll see all of his instructional videos he's done. And uh, all of the books for Rock House are like distributed by Hal Leonard. And we get our books sold in guitar centers and stuff like that. So I met John and I started teaching guitar there and piano lessons. And John had come to see me play with Kevin for the Aussie tribute one night. I got the job. I was only 19, I think, at the time. All I remember John telling me was, is, uh, yeah, we usually don't hire people that are as young as you to teach, but we're going to do it anyways, considering what you're capable of. <laughs> do you find it difficult being someone who is consumed with improvement as a guitar player 
as opposed to being a teacher of young kids? Not really, because teaching guitar is the biggest thing that actually helped me develop my sound and my style and how I play now. I learned so much myself teaching guitar to other people. Things that had I not been teaching guitar, I probably wouldn't know how to do them now. There was a lot that teaching really helped me gain with playing guitar. There were certain things that I didn't know how to do and I'd have to sit there and try to show someone else how to do it. While I'm doing that, I'm also learning how to do it too and improving my own playing. So I was like, okay, okay. And then I would start working on all the stuff at home. We have a curriculum we teach at the school. I always tell John, I'm like, dude, because of your book, I'm the player I am today. This was the book, Rock House Method. There was things in here that really helped open the doors for my fingers to really explore the fretboard in a better sense. And then I started showing my students how to do it, my kids. It started really drastically improving their playing as well. I had a couple guitar students before the pandemic where we were on a really good roll and their playing within just a couple months went from here up to here. It was very beneficial for both me and the students. That's incredible. You know, we're feeding off of each other. I'm teaching someone how to do something. And at the same time, I'm getting to practice something that I'm working on. And I have a guitar in my hands 24-7 teaching. This is true. I'll always envision you with the red bolt. Now, I had never heard of bolt guitars until I saw you with one. And then I looked them up and I'm like, wow, these look like really cool axes. So it's a bolt on neck. It doesn't have a Floyd Rose. It has a Floyd Rose licensed Kaler trim in it. Kaler in the 80s got licensed by Floyd Rose to make actual Floyds, but with the name Kaler on them instead. Who'd have thought? Wow. It has 24 frets on it. And this particular model is called the jerk in the box guitar. Hence the (laughs) jack in the box with the gun shooting the toy soldier. It is by Bolt Guitars, B-O-L-T. That is Mr. Wayne Bolt from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Does he custom make them? Can they be found in stores? So this guitar was made way before I was ever born. Originally, Wayne had his own company called Bolt Guitars in Pennsylvania. He had been working with Kramer Guitars at the time he was starting his company. The guitar I have here, my dad got this on eBay when I was a little kid, and it was something he bought for him to learn how to play guitar because he thought the graphics were cool. He always wanted to learn to play. We didn't know anything about the history on it or anything. And my dad started digging online, found a, I think it was a forum somebody put together for people who owned Bolt guitars. It wasn't until about last year that I was able to actually get in touch with Wayne Bolt, who made this guitar through Facebook. I kind of did what people my age do, like Facebook stalking. <laughs> to, to uh, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't condone <laughs> yeah. stalking of any kind. <laughs> I, I kind of did that as my way of finding the man who built my guitar. Now, is so, that a, a single coil or is that like a humbucker in the shape so of a single coil in the base? It is a humbucker with a single coil. So this is a George Lynch Screaming Demon, Seymour Duncan. 
And we've got a Seymour Duncan hot rail in the neck. Yeah, so I tracked down Wayne, got his phone number, because there was things with this guitar I just couldn't wrap my head around because I had seen other guitars that were bolt guitars with the graphics on it, except the graphics looked like they had been drawn by a different artist on the other guitars because the quality of just the way that the hand drew the images looked different. Other guitars also didn't have the neck painted on the back to match the rest of the guitar. They were all either just black or like the EVH guitars now with just the bare wood and the satin finish. So all the Bolt production models were built like that with no paint on the back. The other thing too is this guitar has no serial number on it. All the production models have serial numbers on them. Right. I'm familiar with serial numbers is how they track it to see if it's official or not. But uh, that is an official Bolt though. Yes, I I sent Wayne the photos and he verified that this is one of the very first demo bolt guitars that they built before they ever went into the production line. If that's a demo, that is a good looking demo. I'm not going to lie. And it sounds it rips. Yeah, I was talking to Wayne today about how the the body of the guitar is chambered and not solid, uh, which is why you lose a little bit of sustain. I love this guitar it's become identifiable with yeah it's synonymous with you and that's been my whole goal since i started using this as my main guitar when i joined rock of ages back in 2019 yes they had been around for a while i'm really happy that there's a def leppard tribute out there that's killing it my favorite def leppard album is high and dry and i love pyromania i i I love hysteria i love adrenalize and i like a lot of the stuff that they've done afterwards but for me it's like those those first two albums i just cherish and i wish more people would would know the song wasted you know we we do wasted can't play it right no no i don't want a copyright strike (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. You put your stuff on YouTube. Well, if it's less yeah, than 30. I, I, got, I got a copyright <laughs> strike for Slappy Fucking Squirrel from Animaniacs. <laughs> I heard if you play less than 30 seconds of it or something like or is it less than 10 seconds? But it was 45 seconds of video with no audio. We were talking over it and they still got a copyright strike from WP. <laughs> uh, oh, God. I should probably put my guitar down then because I'll just start playing random stuff. Don't worry. Any video footage I have of you is going to be stuff that's not copywritten. <laughs> but on top of Rock of Ages and the Aussie tribute band, what's the name of it? Oh, that's called Aussie America. So that's the very first tribute band that kind of introduced me to the scene and to the whole world of tribute bands, actually. I played Randy Rhodes Remembered with Rudy Sarzo and Brian Tishy when I was 16. How was it meeting uh, both both artists? uh nerve-wracking <laughs> imagine you know considering that i'm playing on stage next to the guy who shared the stage with randy rhodes every night for more than two years he was in quiet riot with him too for a couple of years yeah he is on the cover of quiet riot 2 which yeah. came out in 78 and exactly. um, although that's not him on the album that's kelly garney the original yeah, bassist and exactly. they did the gigs in la with yeah. him and then randy went to the uk did the tour with right. ozzy then they recorded diary then bob daisley got fired and yeah. they hired rudy when i was in an ozzy tribute i played bass in one. Oh, okay. and, and rudy 
was my guy you know like yeah. just just his presence his playing mm -hmm. style such a talent unfortunately i went to go see quiet riot in the year 2000 they played a club called the voodoo lounge in bayside queens there was only about 50 people there they were the headline act the promoter wasn't going to pay them because of a low count in the house and it took them an hour and a half to get on stage i would have loved the opportunity to have met them but you could tell that they were really angry. Oh yeah, if you're not getting paid that night, I'd be pretty pissed off too on stage. <laughs> yeah, and like I would have loved to have met them to have said thank you, but it never happened. And yeah. unfortunately, the impression that I got from them was not a good one, but I try to be empathetic and say, you know yeah. what? They got screwed that night. Rest in peace, Kevin DeBro and Frankie Benali. Yeah. If I ever had the opportunity to have Senor Sarzo on the show, yeah. I would jump at the chance because well, he, he's, he he's just a talent. Well, he does podcasts and stuff. It probably wouldn't hurt to just reach out to him and ask. I wouldn't even know how without sounding like a Facebook creep. Like <laughs> <you said. laughs> I know he looks at all his messages and stuff because he's like commented and liked my videos before with the Randy stuff. On Facebook or Instagram? Uh, on both, actually. All right, I will keep trying. Best thing I would suggest to do is compile your work together into like a little thing of, you know, this is what the show is about and just send it to him and ask him. Senor Sarzo, I'm coming yeah, for you. From, from what I, you know, from me, from what I met him and from what everyone else has ever said about Rudy, he is the nicest, sweetest guy. He One of the most intelligent him. musicians. Exactly, and yeah. I love his compassion for animals. Yeah, I know. He does all the animal rescue stuff, too. Yeah. With dogs and, and cats and whatnot. But yeah, I, playing with him, it was probably the best thing since any of any Christmas present I ever got over the years. <laughs> Merry fucking Christmas. It sounds great. You know, you know, not to dig at my parents, but, you know, getting to play on stage with Rudy Sarzo was like, it was surreal because I always dreamed of doing it, but never thought it would actually happen. You know, the more you do something and the more you apply your craft to it. Yeah, and to happen at 16 years old, too. I was like, wow. <laughs> no, it's insane. Hey, look, great things happen when you put out positive energy and, and genuine love for what you're doing. I was so happy with our cover of Stradivarius is hunting high and low. And yeah. I made sure that what I did with it, I tried to play Timo Toki solo, not the same as he did, but with the same passion. And he responded, I like what you did. It actually sounds very good. And, and it has very good choirs, almost like in the original. Yeah, I think it's great. Oh, really? And I was That's like, cool. I was like, yeah. oh my God, you know, like, yeah, I when, when you get complimented by the guy who wrote the fucking thing, it's yeah, it's a big yeah. deal. Yeah, I remember walking on stage. Rudy was right at the start of the wings there when you walk on. And all I remember is walking out. I hear all the people yelling and he reached his hand out to shake my hand and i kind of froze up on him i was just like hi yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i was kind of like i don't know what to do right now so i reached my hand out and shook his hand and kind of just walked away because i was like i i don't know what to do <laughs> sometimes you just gotta you know treat them like a human being like we know who they are i mean obviously yeah. they they are aware to who they are but sometimes we just as long as you're like respectful to them yeah. and they'll just reciprocate mm -hmm. with this with the same yeah. humanity back yeah so it was through that i met the guys that i started the aussie tribute with they were the opening band that night and one of them the drummer and the bass player 
they're twin brothers. And one of them had reached out to me a couple of months after that and says, hey, look, we're looking to put together an Aussie tribute and we want to do the Randy Rhodes Diary of a Madman tour thing with the outfits and the castle backdrop. And I was like, yeah, you're speaking my language. Nice. Because <laughs> that was another dream of mine since I picked up the guitar was I wanted to do an authentic Randy Rhodes tribute where, wearing all of this. You know, like you see these tribute bands doing like, you know, completely unchained with Jake and Eugene there. They all dress up and everything. That's what I wanted to do. Well, those are the tribute bands that, you know, they're the ones that put in the effort. They put in the time and they built they built their following and earned it. Yeah. So that's, you know, I wanted to put on a whole stage thing with the costumes, get the guitars, the amplifiers, you name it. And for about three years, we played with it, but we would only do about probably five shows a year. We would space them out, get about 200 plus people in the room with a couple other bands, us headlining and make a huge bang out of it. That's Um, incredible. Well, the other thing that happened too was we would try to book gigs and get the better bigger gigs like what rock of ages does or completely unchanged but it was like trying to sell the aussie thing was impossible is it because there were other aussie tribute bands that you're competing with or is it just the package itself i think mostly was at the time this is going back to when i was about 17 you're looking at five years ago the scene was a lot different five years ago for any bands that were doing tributes in connecticut what was happening was in connecticut most of the venues having tribute bands would only hire tributes coming from new york and they would refuse to book any tributes from connecticut that makes no sense whatsoever. It, and it was mostly because they thought the quality of the New York bands was higher than Connecticut. They were coming in, dressing up like the guys, playing and sounding as close to the records like the guys. Whereas in Connecticut, you had a lot of people putting together bands, calling them tribute bands, but they go out and they play like the average cover bar band doing a three hour night, going out in jeans and a t-shirt and sounding nothing like the band. They looked just like another average cover band nothing to the caliber of what you see with like completely unchained wearing jeans is one thing but i always wear black jeans because to me black jeans just come off better on stage than rock and blue jeans but if you're a tribute band and this is what i told the guitar player in my old aussie tribute band don't wear fucking adidas sweatpants yeah exactly it's like the bands around here were not really putting enough effort or thought into it so the venues were outsourcing to the bands in new york who actually were doing all that some more than others not all of them i could say that for a fact oh yeah Oh, definitely. At the time, though, that's kind of what was going on. I understand. We would try and get gigs booked at these places, and they would turn us down, but book an Aussie tribute from out of state. And we're like, uh, well, we've already got an established following here in Connecticut. Why don't you want to book us? We've already proved that we can bring 200 people into a bar. And Well, not they- to mention, you're, you're paying tribute to the authentic actual show that... Yeah was the most famous at the time with the whole castle and the leather getup and everything. And no other Aussie tributes were doing that unless you look at the rails from Florida with Frederick Scavone on guitar. They have the castle backdrop 
the singer wears the red overalls like Ozzy did that looked like the chainmail with the cod piece. They do the whole thing. The guy dresses up like Rudy Sarr. So that's what we were doing. But those guys were all the way in Florida. We have no one up here in the New England area doing that. And instead they would want to book an Ozzy tribute that was all the way out in like New Jersey or Pennsylvania. And we're like, we're right here in Connecticut. What's the problem? So we kind of really. Yeah. I mean, you could take a hundred bucks off for travel yeah, expenses or exactly. hotel expenses. You know, Jeez. And well, that's the thing. We wouldn't even need hotel or travel expenses because, you know, you can get to anything. In that's what I'm saying. I mean, you're right yeah. in the heart of Connecticut. Yeah. You know, and everything in Connecticut's like 20, 30 minutes from each other. It's not e like not even. <laughs> Uh, I don't understand some venues and so, unfortunately a lot of venues because of the pandemic, yeah. they've shut down. I'm very sad about revolution in Amityville. Yeah, that was a place where I was so proud to play there with my rush tribute snakes and arrows. I was so proud to play there with my Dio tribute neon nights. I had a wonderful time playing that venue and it's gone now. I know that gigs in general have either been few and far between or non-existent for the previous yeah. year, but you have been asked to play for a couple of Connecticut chamber of commerce events. If I, uh, <laughs> if I recall yes. that correctly. Yes. Sir. See, I study up on you. <laughs> I, I, I think you're like one of the only people who's actually studied up on me because I've done stuff like this before. And like they like don't know how to lead the discussion. It's because I'm that goddamn good. Or like they don't do any research on it. and they kind of Am I good or what? You are good. Thank it. you. <laughs> because, because then it's like they put all the work on the person they're interviewing to run the show. And I was just kind no, of No, like, no. I know. lead, you follow. This is exactly. my platform. It's all Thank good. You. Thank you. I did a couple of those where the first one I did was something a buddy of mine and I literally were just like, you know what? Why don't we just do this crazy idea of on 4th of July, I'll set up my Marshall Stacks. 
at seven o'clock in the morning and play the national anthem on his front lawn. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but and, awesome. Uh, this was during a time in the pandemic where there was a lot of shit going on. There that, was civil unrest, especially with what happened in Minneapolis. We know. Yeah. I mean, in Connecticut, I don't want to say there was picking and choosing going on, but there was like town of North Haven made a stink about anyone doing a 4th of July parade or anything. But luckily we were able to get the whole town police department on our side and we'll just say to them, look, this is going to just be something to commemorate 4th of July, especially considering the fact that we have of men and women in uniform who go and fight for us and you're going to tell us that we can't commemorate them on this one day for them that we give them and it's also acknowledges our independence as the united states of america it's the birthday of our country so we were kind of just like you know fuck it we're gonna do it anyway so i set the stacks up and uh, it kind of snowballed into oh can you do this event can you do this event can you do a car show and my buddy and I would just go with the stacks, set them up. If they didn't have power, we brought a generator <laughs> and nice. plugged into the generator. And it, it started to become a little thing for a while. I think the reason why what you did meant so much to me is because, and I've explained this on the show before, from my experience, I am the son of two immigrants from Greece who came here yeah. in 1968. Not a nickel in their pocket, not a iota of knowledge of the English language. Yeah. My dad put me and my brothers through college. He built a home for us. He built a foundation for us. When he left Greece in 1968, it was when there was, I guess you could say, political uprising of a certain kind. And I make it a point never to get political on the show. Yeah. And I'm not now. But I will say this. I remember I asked my dad, why did you leave Greece when you did to come to America? Yeah. And he said, because I never wanted anyone to tell you what to do with your life. America! When he said that, it meant the world to me because I understood what he was talking about. And yeah. I feel fortunate to be here in the United States, born, raised, still here. Granted, it's far from perfect, but it's perfect yeah. in its imperfections. Yeah. You know, and it's a lot better than what most people are dealt in their own home countries. Outside oh, yeah. Of the United States. And thank God that there's humanitarian efforts out there to help people like that. I really think they should be heralded and cherished for what they do. Exactly. And and thank you for doing what you do to remind well, us of why we love being in this country. You know, if someone's going to dig on me for playing the country's national anthem just because they want to go along with their ideology i'll just let them make themselves look like an asshole so. i love it <laughs> i love it i think it's great that happened with a couple people actually because they were like oh why, why are you doing that i'm like well you do realize it's our country's national anthem. No matter who you support, you do it because you love your country. It's the country's national anthem. When you get asked to play that national anthem, you play it. No ifs, ands, or buts. I love it. I respect it. So you showed me uh, your both guitars, and you yeah. were, and now I actually get to show you oh, what you the Steinberger looks like. Dude, I'm surprised you haven't put stripes on that yet, like live without a net. <laughs> well, the funny thing is about this guitar, it's it's not the same model that Eddie was playing because he actually had one with a trans trim. This is just a... Uh, That's not a trans trim? This is not a trans trim. This is an R trim. So it's basic. Okay. You know, you can pull it down. You can pull it up a little bit. Um, the funny thing is when I first bought it, I got it from a uh, guy over at uh, All Music in Plainview. And... Okay. Um, 
he said, oh, no, it's 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 not a tremolo bridge. And I'm like, yeah, it is. You just didn't take the lock off on the bottom. <laughs> but I love this guitar. It's actually my main guitar that I use really? to record all my cover songs with because wow. it it stays in tune very well. Oh, yeah. And I re get really good action on the bridge and it's got 24 frets on it. And and I love it, you know, and it's oh, comfortable yeah. for me to sit down here in in what I call my bunker my dungeon, whatever you want to call it, my studio. And, you know, I just, I love playing yeah. it. The other and one I got to go with the bolt is. Now that looks like a Phil Collin model. This is a Jackson and um, it's not the Phil Collin model. It was my boss's that he had made for him when he was endorsed by Jackson. Cause uh, my boss at Rockhouse, he had a couple endorsements when he was doing the instructional dvds with the dario gibson jackson pv um you name it so jackson made him a couple guitars and this was one that he just i would when i was at work this is the guitar that would be sitting in my hands during my lessons because he would tell me he's like oh don't worry you don't have to bring your guitar from home to teach you just use mine here and they would you know he's got guitars all over the place in every lesson room is that this a C-neck on it by any chance? Um, I think so. It's a really wide neck. What he did was he had sent them specs of one of his own personal custom guitars and had them do the neck like that guitar. It's a wide, almost flat, plain feeling neck, but I like it just because it's got a nice, fast feeling to it. It doesn't mm -hmm. feel too like it just it it feels natural in my hand. I've played a couple guitars like, for example, my uncle's got a couple custom shop Les Pauls where they put the fifty eight neck on it, and I'm holding it. I'm like, this just feels like way too much chunk for my hand because the neck on the fifty eights are really really thick. So. Um, but yeah, the neck like that, it's, it's almost got like a flat feeling to it. And then it curves on the shoulders and it's got a wide feeling to it too, but not too wide. Um, so I usually play that guitar and the bolt guitar with rock of ages exclusively. And, um, I use the bolt with every band I'm in because, you know, like I was saying, I'm, I'm trying to like make my stamp on everything. I hear so. what you're saying. I think <laughs> it's funny because my, my main guitars before this were actually, it was a Fender Mexican Strat yep. and uh, my Jackson Adrian Smith model. And I always bring those guitars to Jake from Completely yeah. Unchained. And he does a great job of setting that up. Uh, every, every time That's I cool. get into him, he, he you know, it always plays better than it did before. Yeah. So, you know, big shout out to Jake. But I think I'm not going to lie. I'm a huge fan of Alan Holdsworth. Yeah. And he played nothing but headless guitars yeah. with the exception of the one red Charvel strap that he was playing. Yeah, didn't he always play that Charvel strap? Yeah. But then he discovered like then he th then I think it was Carvin started making him headless guitars. Okay. And then, you know, he'd bounce back and forth between those and Steinberger's and Kiesel. Yeah. I can't afford a Kiesel, but I was <laughs> able to get a, uh, uh, I was able to get a, a Steinberger and, you know, yeah. just I'm I'm he's probably my favorite um, cult uh, classic guitar player, if you will. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, are you a fan of his work by any chance? I've 
from, I've, I'll be honest with you, I've never listened to any of his work. All I've ever heard was that he's got this crazy finger span on the fretboard. <laughs> I can't make sense of it. Like I, I tried, and I have to credit my friend John Vulo, the band Terriginous, for uh, turning me on to uh, Alan Holdsworth. But I can't for the life of me, like even reading his tabs, I'm just like, how the hell? Well, that's the thing. I watched one of Alan's instructional videos that he did. I think it was like the, what was it? The Starlix one? Yes. And I couldn't make any sense of what he was trying to teach. Even I, from a teacher's standpoint, I was just like... What the hell is he? Doing? <laughs> I can make more sense of what he was trying to teach and what Vinnie Vincent was trying to play in his Starlight <laughs> video. That was just like, oh my god! I actually picked something up from that Vinnie Vincent one because people poke fun at me for it, but oh, I shouldn't say this. I'm not gonna say it. Uh, I'll tell you if I think it's bad, I'll take it out. Don't worry. What is it? Okay, I usually get shit on for this, but my favorite member. Of Kiss and my favorite guitar player of Kiss is Vinny. All right, I'm taking it out. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because of his playing; it's just because the way the dude was able to write a song. His songwriting is his greatest contribution to Kiss. I would oh, agree yeah. with that. Like it took me a while to tune the shredding thing out when I listened to the Invasion records, but when I was able to and just able to listen to the song as just a song and tune the shredding out, I was like, you know, like he's got some. Really good freaking songs, just song wise. I agree. I thought the work that Kiss released with Creatures of the Night and Lick It Up were two of their best albums. Oh, yeah. And I think Back on the Streets is probably one of the best blues rock songs oh, yeah. that I've ever heard. I, you got, I'm sure you've heard the John Norm version. That's yeah. a great the, cover. The song that got me hooked on Vinny, though, was um, That Time of Year from. Boston. I love that song. Oh. I love that, that song. That was the song that I was just like, no one else ever wrote a song like that. It was a good song. And, you know, yeah. people give Mark Slaughter shit because he's Mark Slaughter from yeah. Slaughter. But yeah. I'm just like, yeah, can you sing like that? Yeah. I don't and think the so. The funny thing is, had any of the other popular bands back then wrote that song, it would have been a number one hit. Like if Bon Jovi did it instead. Probably, yeah. Or, you know, say even um, like Whitesnake, if they did it as a ballad, it probably would have been a number one hit. It probably would have. And, it, you know, it's just I don't want to say it was the wrong place at the right time, because, yeah. I mean, that genre of rock in yeah. 1988, 89. I mean, that's what was selling. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, how did that one not hit? Because Invasion, the, 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 the first album went platinum. Yeah. Um, with 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 the second album all systems go i have no idea how that didn't hit because he was he was able to shine more as a songwriter and was yeah. able to hold back a little bit on his soloing but still coming out with quality licks well, so here's what happened they kind of got screwed out of it because they got beat to the punch by kingdom come with that song they put out what was that big kingdom come song it sounds like a Zeppelin tune. They all sound like Zeppelin tunes. <laughs> it's their biggest song. But originally, Vinnie Vincent Invasion was going to put out Ashes to Ashes as the first single because the record label was like Whitesnake had put out A Still of the Night the year before. And mm -hmm. Ashes to Ashes, they thought was that year's Still of the Night. And then Kingdom Come comes out a month beforehand with their song and blows it out of the water. So... Chrysalis Records 
ditched the ashes to ashes thing and they only put out that time of year the music video and the love kills one for the freddy krueger movie was the song get it on by any chance probably yeah it's the one that almost sounds like black dog or cashmere yeah that's the one because that was the hit single i think yeah so they came out with that and it kind of really put the kibosh on Vinny's record. I don't know if you ever saw Vinny's comeback at the Atlanta Kiss Expo, the whole interview on YouTube. I did, and I had low expectations of it. Yeah. I hoped for the best. I expected the worst, and my expectations were right, unfortunately. <laughs> well, he explains that whole story in one of the interviews from one of the days of the of the show about the whole thing with kingdom come and why that record really didn't do as good as it should have, or how they were planning for it to do. But yeah, you listen to a song, like even no substitute off of the first record. Great pop song. But yeah, that was the thing. The dude knows how to write a great pop song. And that's kind of what I guess got me hooked on him. Plus considering he was the only other guitar player in kiss to have his own makeup. This is true. The Ankh. You know, having the Ankh and everything, I was just like, okay, I kind of vibe more with that. No offense to the spaceman, but I kind of dug the whole Ankh metal thing a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You know, especially him coming out with a Randy Rhodes Jackson that was meant to be Randy's guitar. That's true. That was a gold V that he first had. And then he got the pink one. Well, the gold V is the pink one. He repainted the gold one pink. Oh, that I did not know. Yeah, so right. he repaints the gold one pink. The gold one, if I remember correctly, was Jackson's serial number five that was supposed to go to Randy on the Diary Tour. There's a history behind that guitar. It was number five built for Randy, and then Randy died, and they gave it to Vinny. The third Jackson got sold at Nam show. I'm sure you know that story, how the third Jackson for Randy accidentally got sold at Nam. Oh, yes, I do. And and they actually was a Guitar World article yeah. on the guy who ended up having it, and Sean he still Michael had it. Clegg. Yeah, I'm that's the one, on yeah. Facebook. Yeah, so there, that's the third guitar the fourth one was supposed to be a black version of his white one with the tremolo bar on it and then number five is the gold one that vinnie vincent got that is an incredible story yeah there's actually a photo somewhere on one of the randy Rhodes groups where they have a picture of each one of the five jacksons built and now that's like probably the guitar model that jackson will forever be known for is the Rhodes oh, flying yeah. v yeah Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. you know, I love the, the the Jackson Kelly models. I do love the Jackson Dinky models, yeah. um, you know, the Phil Cullen models. I love my yeah. Jackson Adrian Smith. I mean, mm-hmm. that's probably one that I love taking the stage the most. Yeah, no, I mean, the Flying V is synonymous with, with Jackson. Yeah. It's amazing how that evolved from the Sandoval guitar, the black and white polka dot one. Polka that, dots, yeah. Yeah. Since we lost Eddie, yeah. you did something differently than other guitar players did or other musicians did while a lot of them they pulled out their frankenstrats or their wolfgang models and played whatever you decided to go a different route and play a beautiful piano tribute with the song dreams and dude i got choked up (laughs) i and i'm not even a van hagar fan era i'm an eddie fan and i that's why i did it because you know what those were his two instruments that defined Van Halen. Whether you want to like Van Hagar or not, he still sold 
millions of copies of those records with him playing piano on them throughout the 80s. I always thought a lot of people really forgot about how great of an actual piano player he really was. I do know that there's some people who say that they don't like Jump because it said 1984 was when Van Halen started including keyboards. The same people would say that they love yeah. the Sammy era. And I'm just like, um, 5150 has more tracks of keyboards on it than 1984. Yeah. It's like, and if they want to bitch about keyboards, listen to women and children first and the cradle will rock. It's a Wurlitzer. Keyboards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So well, not only that, he also started, he also played a keyboard on uh, a synthesizer on Sunday afternoon in the park on fair yeah. warning, which is my favorite Van Halen the yeah, record and intruder as well on um, diver down. Yeah, I think that was like a Moog synthesizer yeah, he was know, using or something. That, and that's where you get back into the whole debacle of it needs to be heavy for it to be good. That whole mentality. I can't like stand the mentality. Just express themselves without getting the backlash of someone who's got the elitist mentality. The, prob <laughs> the problem is that it breaks people's narrative or breaks yeah. their fantasy of what they expect because, I mean, look, the first Van Halen six-pack was amazing, but the problem that people have with it is that they'll either only stick with what they know, what they want, and they'll yeah. refuse to accept anything else. And, and like... And I love Def Leppard. I'm, uh, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm as big a fan yeah. as you are, but I won't go see them in concert because I've seen them twice so far. Yeah. And the second time had the exact same songs from the really? first time I saw them, with the exception of a couple of tracks from Oh Yeah. When I first saw Def Leppard in 2003, the first five songs that they played was the entire side one of High and Dry. Wow. So for me, that was a huge treat because that's my favorite Def yeah, Leppard that's album. Cool. And they played Animal and, and yeah. Rocket and, you know, Photograph and all this and that. But then, you know, they played the same hits on the second tour. And look, Def Leppard said it themselves. If they didn't have the hits to play, then why would they have written them in the first place? Yeah. And I get that. But for me, it's like I would rather drive my money to see a tribute band because I like it when they pull out an album cut. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Back then, that was a time where, you know, an album was recorded in 50 minutes or less due to the quality of vinyl and all that. Not know? them. It's in them four years for hysteria. <laughs> I know that. But, um, but you know, the, the standard length of an album back then was what? 45 minutes, 35 minutes. And then it, when it got to CD it was 64, then 72, then 80. So yeah, it would be really cool if, I mean, they're not long records. I mean, they could probably play through high and dry pyro and hysteria all within one two hour show if they wanted to it is quite possible it, know, it, it, it is possible i'm up right um that would i think that would be like the most ultimate treat to the fans to go through those three yeah anyone who hasn't seen them should because they do put on a great show exactly yeah and i mean they, I've always wanted to see them. I've seen videos of them live, like their Vegas residency. And I was just blown away by just the performance quality and the sound that they get as a band. Um, yeah, they recorded Hysteria through the Tom Schultz Rocktron amps. Rockman X100. And the, sorry, the, the Rockman, yes. And I love the, the guitar tones, especially the clean ones. Yeah, and it's all through a tiny little handheld headphone amp. Mm-hmm. That little Rockman X100, it's just a tiny little headphone amp with the rinky-dinky 80s headphones on it. 
<laughs> yeah, I, th I think they actually brought them back onto the market for a little bit, which yeah, is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, Dunlop, I think. They bought out Rockman, I think. Yeah, Rockman. They put, they're they putting out the Rockman Ace or the Soloist. One of the two you could get for like 40 bucks on the internet. Uh, but Okay, I know I'm going to ask my wife for an anniversary oh, gift yeah. then. But if you want the Def Leppard tones, you got to get that X100. All right, very cool. Yeah, um, you could find those for a few hundred bucks on Reverb. <laughs> uh, Reverb, just take my money, please. Just take it. I was so happy that one of my recent findings on Reverb, I found the CC Electronic uh, Mojo Mojo Overdrive yeah. pedal. I love it. Uh, I know Paul Gilbert. I think he helped design it, oh, and yeah. and it didn't sell. And I found a, a a a copy of it for like fifty bucks on Reverb, oh, wow. and I I love that pedal. I mean, like it's great. I one of the cover songs I ended up doing with the Rad Salad Review guys was a cover of uh, "We're an American Band" from oh. Grand Funk Railroad, and I'll tell you, it gave me that right seventies overdrive tone. So I, I, I swear by it, and you know, check out Reverb because they got some good stuff. Oh yeah, it's funny you mentioned that pedal because. You want to talk about someone's pedals getting really expensive? Look at uh, those pedals Satchel put out from Steel Panther. Are we talking about the Pussy Melter? Hey, I didn't name the damn pedal. I just said the name of it, okay? If you're going to get offended by it, eh. Sorry, there's no disclaimer on here. Don't like it? Don't care. <laughs> yeah, my boss was showing me. He's like, dude, ever since they made a stink over those pedals, they're selling them on eBay for like eight, 900 bucks now because they got discontinued. <laughs> somebody wanted to buy my ebo for 500 because apparently they stopped making the ebos really or they they stopped making them for a while and someone was like i'll give you 500 for it i'm like no yeah apparently he came out with a second pedal after that with another really funny name attached to it <laughs> <laughs> His pedals like skyrocketed because I guess people were complaining about the name of it and they discontinued the pedal. Well, we're living in an era where everyone's yeah. offended by everything. People join message yeah. boards just to get offended. Haven't exactly. you heard? Exactly. Yeah. So my boss is showing me the listing. This guy's selling the pussy melter for like 800 bucks on eBay. <laughs> and, and again, it's like if you don't get the running joke of Steel Panther, there's something wrong with you. I mean, exactly. I mean, no offense. But you listen to a song like Fat Girl, you can't pick up what that band is about. Then you must born under a rock. <laughs> Dare I say Asian hooker is a favorite of mine? <laughs> I love my friend Jesse and I, we listen to, we put the CDs in the car and we just listen to that stuff nonstop because we can't, first off, we love the guitar work on it. Satchel's oh, like. Russ Parrish is an amazing guitar dude, player. Like listening to him rip leads, it's like, holy shit, this is like Red Beach on steroids. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good comparison. So, we love listening to it for him, but also just the lyric content. <laughs> so uh, we're going to do a lightning round of questions, okay? Okay, cool. All right. So favorite album with Randy Rhodes? Uh, that stings. <laughs> I got to choose. Um, I'd have to go with um, Tribute. That's the first one I heard. That's the one that had me pick up a guitar in the first place. It's a tribute. 
Favorite Van Halen record? <laughs> um, ooh, that's a tough one. Probably Van Halen one. Yeah, first record. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Guitar that you want to own but don't yet. A Black Beauty Les Paul custom. Where would you want your dream gig to be? What venue? And who do you want to play with? I would have to say it's Madison Square Garden. I've always wanted to play there because my first concert there was was actually there as a toddler. I saw Andrea Bocelli with my mother. Conte Partiro. Yes, sir. That's 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 the guy. I saw him there, and uh, I was like, I I want to play here when I make it someday. And I'd have to go with if it who I'd want to play with the Prince of Darkness himself. I wish that for you. <laughs> Thank you. Favorite Judas Priest record. That's a toss-up. I, I you got me stuck there. I'm torn between Screaming for Vengeance and Defenders of the Faith. Defenders of the Faith is my favorite one, so I'll give you that. Yeah. That, okay. That, that's one where it's like those are like twins right there. <laughs> the three most famous guitarists of the metal scene of the '80s would have to be Warren D. Martini, Jakey Lee, and George Lynch. Who is your favorite? George. <laughs> you gotta go with Mr. Lynch. Which leads into my next question: Which docking album? Uh, I'd have to go with Under Lock and Key. Ah, doesn't anyone like Tooth and Nail as much as I do? Well, I like Tooth and Nail, but when I listened to them in their entirety, I started with Under Lock and Key. And just the songs on there that George was putting out had this really dark, eerie vibe to them. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was just like, this is a great record start to finish. I didn't even want to turn it off. It saddens. I feel like his tone um, has changed so much oh, yeah. since the '80s, and I'm not saying that he shouldn't change it on his own accord. But I, my preference was definitely his. Uh, well, he switched to lower output pickups, and in an interview, he stated it was because he wants to hear more of the nuances when he's playing certain things with like slides and vibrato and stuff. Whereas the higher output pickups mask it with too much gain. But it makes his playing sound really dead and weak with low output pickups. It doesn't have that same bite as yeah, it used exactly. to. Yeah. It sounds like no offense, but sadly, Rich, you ever hear Richie Blackmore now with Rainbow? Uh, I, I, I can't unhear it. You know, that's what George is sounding like. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely far removed from the black. And again, you know, Richie's in his seventies, and you know, I'm not going to take anything away from what he did. But, uh, but just, if you're going to do a reunion with Rainbow, at least come out with your Marshall stacks or the Engel stacks instead of two little tiny practice amps in the back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Engel's made in Europe. You couldn't just friggin' rent a couple of Engel amps. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. All right. Favorite condiment to put on your food? Uh, I'd have to go with honey mustard. Really? 
Yeah. I'm dying to meet someone to accept my hot sauce challenge. <sighs> I, I can't. If I'm going to do anything hot, I can only do wasabi. Okay. Love wasabi. Okay. Favorite sushi? Ooh. I got to go with the salmon. Or Spicy no. salmon? No, I'm sorry. Not salmon. Uh, eel. Eel avocado? Yes, sir. I always get either spicy salmon or eel avocado. So I do this thing called the green dragon roll, where it's a sushi roll. The top has a layering of avocado with the um, with whatever special sauce they put on it. The inside is eel with uh, with something else, but it's really, really good in any of the dragon rolls at any Japanese places. All right. Last lightning round question. Favorite cigar? Because I know you're a cigar fan you as, a, as I am. You. Oh, boy. Um, I would have to go with the Cohiba Red Dot. I have always, though, wanted to smoke a real actual Cuban's pre-63 cigar. Like oh, okay. JFK Upman's that he ordered a thousand boxes of before the embargo was signed. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing's better than an actual Cuban. Yes, I agree. Uh, I, go the, I go with the Cohiba Red Dot. Um, we just smoked a new cigar last Sunday called the it was a uh, Obsidian Cigars. <laughs> that sounds cool. So yeah, I, I go with the Cohiba Red Dot, and uh, yeah. I'll have to look that up. You All right. Cigars? I do. I do enjoy a good stogie every now and then. Nice. With a nice uh, glass of uh, either Maker's Mark on the rocks, Jack on the rocks, or Fireball on the rocks. Oh, you drink Fireball? <laughs> I know you're a Fireball fan, too. I saw those empty bottles on your Marshall stacks. Yeah, all across the amps. <laughs> oh, just like, you know, if I ever needed a reason to dislike Damiano, I can't find one. Dude, some guy wrote on my video, how do I respect someone that drinks Fireball? <laughs> Dude, just listen to the guitar. Who cares about the empty bottles on my amp? <laughs> Seriously, that's what you pick apart from his videos, yeah. you schmuck? Yeah, that's literally what he said. How can I respect a dude who drinks Fireball? <laughs> well, hey, buddy, that's why you're where you are, and he's where he is. Yeah, I, I tell myself every that every day, so I don't get too upset over you. Know? Yeah, I'm sure you're crying in your Fireball about that. <laughs> Who knows? So we're going to wrap this up. But uh, again, I just wanted to say one thing to uh, speak your praises. Uh, when you mentioned before about what you said about how you're teaching these kids, how you learn yeah. uh, as well. Um, for me, at 40 years old and being someone that's played guitar since he was 12, I always feel as though there's room for improvement. Yes. I am beyond fortunate that you were patient enough to watch the video that I did. And I asked you, could you please provide me some constructive criticism? And you did. And because of you, I fulfilled a challenge where I was actually able to play Captain Nemo from Michael Schenker for oh, the wow. first time ever in my life. Nice. And I have you to thank for that. So I wanted to say no thank problem. you in person. No problem. Anytime. I always tell everyone, you ever have questions on guitar? feel free to hit me up. You know, I teach for a living, but 
I, I have always loved teaching people how to do what I do, especially when it's something that I will love until the day I die. Oh, so, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, some people, the guitar, it's an extension of an appendage that they're, you know, exactly. uh, that they're that they're quite uh, embarrassed of its size for, uh, <laughs> for, for for guys like us. The guitar is just an extension of our personalities. Yeah, and, you know, exactly. like we, you know, we try to make it shine. And, you know, I'm very fortunate to Rob Bora from for introducing yeah. us. You know, I'm very yeah. grateful. Yeah, no, Rob's awesome. And the, like I said, you know, anytime you got questions on guitar or anyone watching this, anyone got questions on guitar. How can I, people contact you? If you're on Instagram at Damiano underscore Christian, that's D-A-M-I-A-N-O. And uh, on Facebook, you can hit me up on either my, um, I would say hit me up on the artist page because lately, if you do it on my personal page, and you're not friends with me, it goes to this area of Facebook called the message requests that I never get notified about. So I get some people thinking that I'm just some jerk that doesn't reply when it just goes to message requests. And I have no idea that they sent me a message. <laughs> I can assure you he's not a jerk, but he does get flooded on the daily. <laughs> you know, it's like I post a video, it gets close to 300 likes and I'm like, I get swamped in notifications that I just lose things. So yeah, Facebook, um, my YouTube, Damiano Christian as well, um, with all my videos and stuff, you can hit me up there. And if anyone never wants lessons or whatnot, private message me directly. We'll get you going because, you know, I love teaching. <laughs> the band Sacred Oath, check them out on Bandcamp. The artist is Damiano Christian. Yes, Again, sir. check out his Ozzy America tribute as well and his Def Leppard tribute, Rock of Ages. Damiano, I can't thank you enough for being on this episode thank of the podcast you. with me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Definitely. The Music is Life podcast is brought to you by Rat Style Review. Please check out some of the other shows that we have on the channel, such as the Mothership Show, Rat Style Review, the Pro Wrestling Review Show, Beyond Bushido with Eric Adams and James Lilquist. Also check out Suck My Balls, the South Park podcast, Ralph Vieira over at Vieira Vault. And also check out my friend Bob Mango's new podcast, which is called Green Mango's World, where he dwell he delves into cult cinema, cult culture. He'll talk about comic books, Quentin Tarantino, Marvel films, and check his podcast out when it comes out. I'm very proud to say I helped him record his first episode this morning, and it'll be out on Ratsaw Review soon. Please don't forget to check out ratsawreview.com. Subscribe to the YouTube page. Subscribe to wherever you can listen to it. Also, don't forget to check out my podcast, The Music Is Life podcast on musicislifepodcast.com. From there, you can link to the YouTube page and also the other formats where you can listen to the show, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, amongst others. It's all there. And, mm -hmm. you know, the show is brought to you by anchor.fm. And I can't thank you enough for watching, listening, whatever you're doing to absorb this entertaining podcast. At least I like to think it's entertaining. Damiano, I hope you will be a future subscriber as well. Yeah, I just I followed you on Instagram and uh, you, you're on you're on YouTube. So I'll, I'll find you on there, too. I got to find you on there. Awesome. Thanks, man. You're welcome. I enjoyed this a lot. 
I enjoyed it too. Thank you again for being on the show. And I just want to wish everybody a great night and take care. Thank you. Remember, all art is valid. Anchor.fm and Ratsad Review. Check out the other shows on Ratsad Review, including Beyond Bushido, Old Man Metals Musings, The Right Opinion, The Vieira Vault, The Timo Toki Podcast, The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry, Just the Cheese Please, and The Friday Night Party with the great Harry Barnett and Evie. Graphics by Rocky Baia. For commissions, find them on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by The Rebel Medium, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leuk, and Lou Mavs. If you'd like to donate to the channel, please donate to our PayPal at musicislifepodcast at gmail.com. If you're in a band and you want us to review your music, then contact us at Maps at musicislifepodcast.com. Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle. With much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, check out www.musicislifepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out www.ratsireview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers.